Well, good morning, church. My name is Hunter Sewell. I'm grateful to be with you this morning and to study God's word with you. This morning, we're continuing our series, uh, Thriving in Hope. This is a, a series that we've been in this summer, and we've been studying the Psalms for this because we know that the Psalms give hope to those who follow Jesus. And in this series, what we've been trying to do is, is what I like to call emotional discipleship. We've been learning to take our ever-changing thoughts and emotions and attitudes and filter them through the never-changing Word of God. We're taking our, what we feel and we're processing it based on what we know is true about God. And this morning, we're going to be dealing with, with the issue of fear. And as I was preparing, I was reminded of a couple of stories about uh, how sometimes human beings become irrational when we're afraid. I was thinking about a guy named Louis Pasteur, who, who uh, you may or may not have heard of. Um, he is kind of regarded as the, the father of modern microbiology, of bacteriology. He spent his whole life studying uh, germs and, and preparing vaccines for, for us uh, to keep us safe. Uh, but what's really funny is he was so afraid of germs that he would, he would refuse to shake someone's hand. Thought, how ironic is that? This is a guy who knows everything that there is to know about germs, yet he, and he's building things that are helping prevent us from getting sick, yet he can't shake someone's hand. I was reminded, too, of, uh, of President Benjamin Harrison. He, uh, he was a president, a 23rd president, and uh, Benjamin Harrison and his wife were, were so afraid of electricity uh, that had been installed in the White House that they refused to, to touch the light switch. So uh, reportedly, when, when they were going to bed, if the lights were on and no White House aide was around, they would sleep with the lights on. They were so afraid of electricity that they wouldn't touch the switch. An even kind of uh, more silly example, I think about Joseph Stalin. He's one of the, the world's most brutal dictators, but he's also one of the most paranoid men that we have in recorded history. And, and he was so afraid of someone coming to take his life, he had eight bedrooms and one house in Moscow. And every night he picked a different room to sleep in and told nobody. He was so afraid that somebody was going to come and take his life that he picked his room and he wouldn't tell anybody else so that nobody would know where he slept. Fear sometimes causes us to do irrational things. And this morning in our text, in Psalm 55, we're going to see David. This is a, a moment in King David's life when he is being assailed by fear. We're going to see that there's a, there's a, a, a close companion, a close friend of David's that has, that has turned against him and is now coming after his life. And David is afraid. But instead of responding irrationally, David was able to respond by trusting in the Lord. And what we're going to learn in our text this morning is how thriving people find peace when they're assailed by fear. Thriving people don't fight, and thriving people don't run. Thriving people trust God with the outcomes of our lives, even when the circumstances are challenging. And much of what we're going to learn today hinges on what David says, and he writes in verse 22 of Psalm 55. So I want to invite you to flip with me there. We're going to have Miss Avery come up and read it. Uh, once you get there, if you would, stand with us in honor of God's word as she reads. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Amen. Thanks so much. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Sometimes when we come to the Psalms, at the top of the Psalm or at the beginning of the Psalm, it'll, it'll tell us the context of the Psalm, what's going on. Last week when we studied Psalm 51, we, we were able to see that this was about David after he had had the, the adulterous affair with Bathsheba. In Psalm 55, we don't have that context. 
We're not exactly sure of what's taking place. Many commentators think that Psalm 55 was written about the time of David's son's rebellion. So David had a son. His name was Absalom. And Absalom rebelled against David and pronounced himself king and forced David to flee. Again, we don't know if that's the specific context, but David goes through a series of emotions here. These emotions are are, are inspired by someone that he loves and cares deeply for that had turned against him and was coming after his life. And the scripture tells us in verse 2 that that David was restless. He had no peace. In verse 4 and 5, it tells that his heart was in anguish. Something deep down in his soul, was, his, his soul was hurting. And it was so bad that he wished that he was like a bird and he could just kind of fly away. That's what he says in verse six through eight. And then in verse nine through 15, he prays that, that God would intervene, and that God would intervene in such a way that, that, that his enemies would be completely crushed. And we may not have had moments in our lives, like this moment in King David's, where we have a physical enemy coming after our lives. But we all have had moments of great fear. Moments where we too are like King David and we wish that we could just fly away and escape all of what's going on. And moments like David did where we wish that God would just immediately fix the, the, the issue that we have at hand. But it's good that we have a healthy dose of fear. There's a kind of fear that's healthy. It's a kind of fear that preserves our life. It helps us make wise decisions and keeps us safe. I was reminded of a, a, a trip that Holly and I made up to Cincinnati a few years ago. Uh, we went up there, and, and my, all throughout my childhood, my, my favorite animal uh, was the cheetah. And I loved the big cats. I loved going and seeing cheetahs and jaguars and lions and things like that. So I went up to Cincinnati. I was so excited because they have a big lion exhibit. And went up to this lion exhibit, and we're watching, and, and apparently it was, it was about lunchtime. Most of the lions are just kind of chilling. They're hanging out, waiting for food to come. But one lioness, she must have been pretty hungry because she proceeded to walk over to the door where the trainer came out. And this is a full-grown lioness. She stands up on her back two legs and begins to paw at this door as if she's going to claw this door down. And I could see every muscle in her body just firing. And I was, I, that, that was a healthy fear. I thought, I want nothing to do with her ever. I never want to be anywhere near her when she is hungry. That was a healthy fear. But there's a kind of fear that's not healthy. That's the kind of fear that consumes us. It's the kind of fear that paralyzes us. It's the kind of fear that destroys us. It's the kind of fear that keeps us from leaving our house because we're afraid that we might get into an accident or that we might run into trouble. It's the kind of fear that we have because we're we're afraid of of failing or because we're, we're afraid of rejection. It's an unhealthy fear. And if you want to know kind of how, how do I know if my fear is healthy or unhealthy, I found a list of questions that I think is a, is a helpful grid. I would encourage you to write these questions down. Here's how you can identify if your fear is an unhealthy fear. Does it cause you to see your problems as greater than they are? Does it cause you to see your problems as something bigger than they are? Does it prevent you from enjoying the blessings that you have and the people that you love? Does it hinder your ability to be of service to God? And does it motivate you to disobey God? And if the answer to any of those questions is yes, then that fear is an unhealthy fear. But fear is not a fruit problem. Fear is a root problem. There's roots and there are fruits. Roots are the things that are going on deep inside of our hearts. Fruits are the things that are born out of that. So a fruit problem based on fear might be anger, but fear is, is really a, it's a heart problem. It's a root issue. 
And if you wanted to put a definition to fear, this kind of fear that, that paralyzes, consumes us, destroys us, it would be this, that fear is unbelief in the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God. The fear is unbelief in the sovereignty of God, that God is not in control, and unbelief in the goodness of God, that God doesn't, he isn't good and and doesn't have my best interest in mind. It's unbelief in the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God. But the, the biblical solution to fear isn't just to believe more. Even though it's unbelief, it isn't just believe more. It also isn't just to to declare victory over fear. It isn't to run from fear. It isn't to fight fight fear. It's to, to fear rightly. The biblical solution to fearing is to fear rightly, to fear God above anything else. And Jesus teaches his disciples that in Matthew chapter 10. So Matthew 10, Jesus is getting ready to send his disciples out to, to begin telling people the kingdom of God is at hand. And he sends them out with power to, to cast out demons and to bring healing to the sick. But he tells them, you're going to face a lot of persecution. You're going to face people that are going to hate you, people that want to kill you. And in the middle of that, he gives them a really important lesson that's important for us to see this morning. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 27 through 31. He said, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus was teaching his disciples here that right fear crushes wrong fear. That there may be a fear that comes from man, and there be men who, who come against them, who cause their bodies pain, but that their souls could be comforted, their souls could have peace because their eternities with God were secure. And the same thing is what we're going to see this morning with King David. And many of us know that truth. Many of us know that, that because of what we believe in Christ Jesus, that our souls are secure in the hands of our Heavenly Father. But there's a disconnect often between what we know to be true and, and what we allow in our, in our hearts. Because we may know that those are true things, true truths, but they may not always sink down into our hearts when we're dealing with difficult situations. Sometimes there's a disconnect. And what I hope that we can see this morning and learn from King David this morning are, are some things that will help us connect the gap between what we know to be true and what we, what we let our hearts believe to be true, even when we're assailed by fear. And what we're going to see is, again, that this hinges on what David says in verse 22, to cast your cares upon the Lord. But he moved from a place of, of fear in the beginning to a place of, of trust, a place of rest, by casting his cares on the Lord. So if you want to take notes this morning, uh, we're going to take a, a couple of notes about how thriving people find peace in God. And the first one is this. When fear sails, thriving people find peace in God by calling out to the Lord. Thriving people find peace in God by calling out to the Lord. So here's what we read in verse 16. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. So David has just spent 15 verses up to this point talking about what's going on in his heart, what's going on in his mind. And then he says, but I call to God and the Lord will save him. There's something really important that's happening there. David is crying out to God for help. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of uh, uh, yesterday as, as Holly and I were, were coming back from a wedding of, of a story of when I had to call out for help one time. 
Uh, Holly and I went on a date. I was probably 17 or 18 years old. I thought I was a, a hot shot. Uh, we were going on a date. We went down to, to Franklin to the drive-in, and we were at the, the drive-in movie theater. So we're having a great time. I have no idea what the movie was, but I remember we had a great time, and, and we packed up and got ready to leave, put all the stuff in the car. We had some friends with us. They loaded up. Went to go press the, the, the start button. I had borrowed my dad's truck because I wanted to be really cool. And so I went to, to press the button, pressed it, click, 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 pressed it again, click, click, click. The battery had died. The truck couldn't start because the battery was totally dead. And so here I am trying to be cool. I've got my girlfriend with me and, and I've got all my friends in the car. Everybody's counting on me to get home and I can't get anybody home. My truck is completely and totally dead. I'm out here. There's nobody else around. I don't have jumper cables. I'm stubborn as is. And so I'm embarrassed now. This was a, this was a bad deal. But I had to humble myself and I had to call out for help. So I called my dad. He came and jumped the truck. And we were able to go on our way. But this is exactly what David is doing here. He's recognizing that he doesn't have the ability to deal with this circumstance that's at hand, but that, but that God does. And so he calls out to the Lord for help. And that's what really what it looks like to fear rightly. Right fear recognizes that I don't have what it takes to deal with this situation, but that God does. And so I'm, I'm confessing my inability and I'm trusting in his ability. I'm trusting that he will do what I cannot do. And so David calls out to God in prayer because that was his only option. So can I ask you this morning, how do you typically respond to fear? When you're afraid, what is your, your first and typical response? Is it to do what David did here? Is it to call out to God, to ask him for help? Or is it typically to, to complain about your circumstances? Why me, God? Why does this have to happen to me? I didn't deserve this. I don't want this. I can't believe that this is going on in my life. Complain. Or even worse, do you, do you create more chaos in your life by trying to fix it on your own? Do you try to do all the things that you can in your own strength to, to deal with the fear and the situation that's going on in your heart? Because if it's any response other than calling out to the Lord for help, it's like me sitting there and pushing that button to start over and over again. It's not going to work. It can't work. The truck didn't have the, the, what it needed to start. It needed someone's help from outside. And the same thing is true with us. You and I don't have in us what it takes to deal with our fears and our worries and our anxieties. We can't deal with them on our own. We can't bear those burdens on our own. So we need to call out to God for help. And if we'll humble ourselves, key word being humble, if we'll humble ourselves and recognize our insufficiency, then we'll get to see God for who he really is, just like King David did, that we'll get to see that God is a God who saves. And when David found himself in this spot, where he was being assailed by fear, when fear was attacking him, his only move was clear. Call out to God for help. And what we're gonna see in verse 17 is that David didn't just call out once. He didn't just ask God once, but he continued persistently asking God to meet the request that he had. And this is the second truth, that when fear assails, thriving people find peace in God by constantly bringing their requests before the Lord. Thriving people find peace by constantly bringing their requests before the Lord. Here's what we read, verse 17 through 19. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. 
God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old. So what David's saying here is his day started, his day ended, and his day all throughout was filled with prayer. This is what it looks like to pray without ceasing. He started in the morning, he finished in the evening, and any moment he got throughout, he prayed and asked, he brought these requests to the Lord, asked God to deliver him. And he did so with confidence because he knew that that God heard his prayers. That's what he says at the end of verse 17. He knew that God would redeem his soul, verse 18, and he knew that God was and is sovereign over his situation. And he says that God's been enthroned of all. He's saying, God, I know that you're in control here. And so David prays these things confident that God hears him, he he answers him, and that God's in control. But that doesn't prevent David from continually coming and asking these things of God. He says, morning and evening and at noon he uttered his complaints before the Lord. And as I read that, I couldn't help but to think about a parable that Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 18. I want to invite you to flip with me there. Uh, This is a parable that's really important for us as believers to see. And and Jesus gives us at the very beginning of this parable, he tells us exactly why he taught it. And this is also important. So in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, we read this. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So the purpose for which Jesus is teaching his disciples this parable is that that they would constantly pray. That they would constantly pray and that they would never lose heart that they would bring these requests before the Lord over and over again and not be discouraged. And he tells them the parable. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she won't beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. It will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? So Jesus has taught this parable of this this judge judge who neither fears God nor fears man, but answers this widow's requests because he is tired of hearing her. He is tired of hearing her complaints. He is burdened by her asking. And then Jesus says, how much greater is our God? Our Heavenly Father is not burdened by our requests of him. Rather, God is delighted when we bring our requests to him. And I want to show you two verses that help reinforce that truth. Proverbs 15, 8. It says, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Uh, I like the way that the CSB translates. I think it's a little bit better. It says that the prayer of the upright is his delight. And this speaks to the kind of prayer that God delights in. He delights in a prayer that's prayed according to his word and prayed according to his way. And if we take prayers uh, to the Lord that are not according to his word, that are not according to his ways, he is not delighted in those, but he is delighted when we take our requests to him according to his word and according to his ways. He is delighted by that. And in Psalm 147, 11, we read this. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. And this verse right here speaks to the kind of heart that God delights in. 
He doesn't delight in a heart that's dependent upon its own strength, that's dependent, it's self-sufficient. He does not delight in that. He delights in a heart that is completely dependent upon him and his strength. And both of these are wonderfully encouraging verses to me because I know that all I have is a desperate need for God's help. But my soul can be comforted in the truth of knowing that God is delighted in my dependence upon him. Our God is delighted in our dependence upon him. And when he provides exactly what we need, he is glorified in our weakness. And so my encouragement to us this morning is if there is something on your heart to go to the Lord, to take it to the Lord over and over and over again. If you are a follower of Christ, you've been redeemed by grace through faith in Christ alone, and then you, you have access to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God's word tells us to go boldly with confidence before the throne of grace. That's Hebrews 4. And we, and we can do so repeatedly, frequently, just like this widow in Luke 18. Because at evening and morning and noon, I encourage you to take those requests to God. Pray according to his will. Pray according to his way. And know that God hears you. And that he's not bothered by you. He doesn't answer you because he's ready to dismiss you. God cares for you. And he is delighted and we depend on him to do what only he can do. And it's there at the throne of grace where we go regularly, frequently, constantly to present our requests to our risen king that we find rest for our souls. And this is the third truth, that when fear sails, thriving people find peace in God by casting their burdens upon the Lord. Thriving people find peace in God by, by casting their burdens on the Lord. There's an interesting shift that takes place in verse 22. Uh, all of the rest of Psalm 55 is written kind of in a narrative sense where David is kind of telling you, this is what's going on. This is what is going on in my heart. Here's what my enemies are doing. But in verse 22, it's like, it's like he's had this big, long monologue, and then all of a sudden he turns directly to look at us, to speak to us, the people of God, to, to invite us into something that he has learned about the character of God. And this is, again, this is kind of the, the centerpiece of how David is able to experience peace in the midst of fear. Here's what he says. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. So there's two words that are very important for us to understand if we want to apply this rightly in our own lives. The first one is to cast. And to cast is, is to transfer the weight of one thing onto another. I've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew uh, in my quiet time, and I read across uh, Matthew chapter 21 a couple days ago. It's the triumphant entry of Jesus, and this is a helpful illustration to understand what it means to cast something. So Jesus is getting ready to come into Jerusalem, and uh, he invites his disciples or asks his disciples to go get a donkey, and they bring the donkey to Jesus, and the scripture says they cast their cloaks on this donkey. They, they took the weight of their garments off and they put it on this donkey and Jesus sat on it. And so what David is telling us here to do to, to cast our burdens upon the Lord, he's saying to, to take the weight and to transfer that and to put it on the Lord. To, to, place, to place our worries, our fears, that's what we're gonna get into with burden here in just a second, to, put, to place these things on the Lord. And then when you ask, okay, well, what does it mean, what does it mean to, to have a burden Typically, when we think about burden, we think of those worries, those fears, those anxieties. But the word that's used here in Hebrew is a little bit more comprehensive than that. It, it kind of carries this idea that this is our appointed lot in life. 
that, that our burden is the, the very God-ordained plan with all of its blessings and all of its curses. This is God's plan for our life. This is the burden that we have. It's our lot. And so when David here is telling us to cast our burdens on the Lord, what he's telling us to do is to take our very lives, our fears, our hopes, our dreams, our failures, all of our lives, and to place them in the hands of our God. Cast your burdens on the Lord is to take my whole life and to place it in God's hands, the very essence of my being, to entrust it entirely to our God. That's what David is inviting us to do. And notice, the, notice what follows. When, when we cast our burdens on the Lord, what does the Lord do? He will sustain you. Verse 22, he will not let the righteous be moved. So God doesn't promise his people that when we cast our burdens on him, our fears dispel. He doesn't promise that, our, that the, the, the problems that we have go away or that everything's going to be happy, hunky-dory, everything's going to be fine. But what he does promise is that even in the midst of that, that God will sustain us, that he will provide the strength and he will provide the grace that's necessary for us to navigate our lot in life. And how do I know that that's true? How do I know that God will sustain us? Well, one is because he tells us that he will in his word, and our God is faithful to keep his word. But also, we have this example in Christ, and in, and in our Savior's dark hour of suffering, we see how our Heavenly Father sustained him. Our Savior knows what it's like to bear a heavy burden. And in many ways, Psalm 55 is a little bit of a parallel to the narrative that we see in Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And just like King David, he'd been betrayed by someone very close to him. And just like King David, his heart was in anguish and agony. His soul was, was restless. He was experiencing his anguish about what was to come. And just like King David, he called out to the Lord. He asked, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. And just like King David, he cast his burden on the Lord. And he entrusted himself completely to him who judges justly. And just like David, our Lord wasn't given an escape in his hour of suffering. He wasn't given an escape, but he was sustained. He was given the strength from his father that was necessary to fulfill his burden, to carry our burdens to the cross at Calvary. And I love the way that the, the hymn, How Great Thou Art, sings the truth of the gospel. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross... My burden, my sin burden, Christ gladly bearing, that he bled and died to take away my sin. The good news of the gospel is that Christ Jesus has come and borne the penalty of sin that you and I deserve. He has taken our sin guilt, our debt, and he has paid it in full. He stood condemned in our place so that we might receive the righteousness of God by grace through faith in Christ alone, that we can be set free from sin and from the penalty and power of sin, and we can be restored into a right relationship with God. And he was buried in the grave, and three days later, he rose and claimed victory over sin, over death. He has victory over all things, and his promise to us is simple. His invitation to us is simple. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There is peace for our souls when we lay our burdens at the feet of Jesus. So my question for us this morning to ask of ourselves is, do we have peace in our souls? Do we have peace in our souls? 
Have you repented and believed the gospel? Because the only way that you can sing that hope has a name and his name is Jesus, the only way that he is your hope is you have repented and believed in the gospel and submitted your life to Christ. If you're here this morning and you have never trusted in Christ for salvation, then you do not have peace with God. But you can have peace this morning. You can cast your burden and submit your life to Christ. And his death can become the payment for, for your sin. And you can be set free to live a life that honors God, to pursue his design for your life. But maybe you're here this morning and you are a follower of Christ, but you don't have rest. Maybe you're, you're consumed by fear, you're consumed by anxiety, you're consumed by worry. And your invitation is the same, to cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Each and every day, we cast our burdens upon the Lord. And each and every day, he provides us with the strength and the grace that's necessary to fulfill our lot in life. And in times of greatest weakness, in times of greatest service, in times of greatest trial, we cast our burdens on the Lord and he will sustain us. He will never let the righteous be moved. He's not promised to remove us from the circumstance, but he's promised that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And even when fear assails, we can sing with confidence this famous hymn that whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say that it is well with my soul. Because Christ has borne our sin, our burden at Calvary, you and I can have peace with God and we can have rest for our souls. And this is the fourth and final truth that we see in, in God's word this morning. That when fear assails, thriving people find peace in God by confidently resting in God. Thriving people find peace in, by confidently resting in the Lord. Here's what we read in verse 23. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. And not to downplay David's situation, please don't downplay David's situation at all. David was very much so a phrase, very much so uh, coming up against someone who, who, who wanted to take his life. This is a very serious situation. So it's not just as if David's dealing with nothing and says, oh, but I'm going to trust God anyway. No, this was David placing his entire life in the hands of his God. He cast his burdens upon the Lord. He trusted him. And not depending on his own strength, David trusted in the Lord's. He trusted in the justice of God. He trusted that God would bring justice to the wicked. And he trusted in the timing of the Lord. He trusted that God would act, and he prayed that God would do that soon. And because David trusted the Lord, even when, a, when there was an unbelievably difficult circumstance in his life, he was able to rest. And rest is the opposite of fearing. So earlier, we defined fearing as unbelief in the sovereignty and the goodness of God. And so to rest, then, would be to, to have complete dependence upon the plan and provision of God. When I fear, I say, God, I don't trust your plan. I don't trust that you're in control and I don't trust that you're good to care for me in it. But when we rest, we're saying, God, I, I trust you completely. I know that what you have is best. I know that you are sovereign over this and I'm fully trusting in you to provide here. And so as we close this morning, I wanna invite you to consider where your own heart is. Where are you at in your own heart this morning? Because we've talked about resting and we've talked about fearing. Which of those two describes the status of your heart this morning? Are you living in fear? Is your heart overwhelmed by fear? Are you restless? Do you have peace? 
Or have you trusted in Christ for salvation? You are resting. If you're here this morning and you do not have rest, I would invite you to consider what what King David has done here. He started and moved from being in a place of great fear to being in a place of great rest. And how did he do so? Because he casted his burden upon the Lord. So I want to invite our our care leaders to come forward. We're going to have some people up here that would be willing to pray with you, to talk with you, to counsel you. If you're here this morning and you are feeling a great sense of restlessness in your soul, please come and pray. Please come and cast your burdens upon the Lord. If you're, if you're someone who's never trusted in Christ for salvation, then, then, then come and lay your burden at the feet of Jesus. Ask him to save you from your sins and he will absolutely do that. Or if you are a follower of Christ, overwhelmed with fear and doubt and, and, and anxiety and worry, come and lay that burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. You can find rest for your soul at the feet of Jesus. But if you are resting and you say, my soul is in, is in great shape, I can sing it is well with my soul, then would you leave this place this morning to go and make much of Jesus? Would you leave here and rejoice? And would you leave here and go tell everybody else about who God is, that our God is a God who saves, our God is a God who redeems, our God is a God who hears, our God is a God who sustains. And even in times of, of darkness where there's fear and there's, there's worry and there's anxiety, that we can have peace because we know Christ. And would you tell them there's rest for your soul in Christ Jesus. Invite them to come and repent and believe the gospel. So wherever you're at this morning, please don't miss an opportunity to respond to the Lord. If you're here this morning and you need to depend more fully on the Lord, please do so today. But if you're here this morning, you are trusting in Christ and you're experiencing his rest, then go and make much of him as you leave here. Go and declare the goodness and the grace of God so that others can experience that too. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we do thank you so much for the truth that we see in your word. We thank you for your great grace that you've given to us. We thank you that, Lord, we can sing that it is well with our soul, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what you've done. You've come and given your life for us. And I pray that if today there are any in here this morning who have not experienced your grace in that way, that they have never trusted in you, Jesus, to save them, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would repent and believe the gospel, and that they would be able to sing that it is well with their soul. And for, for many of us in this room who are followers of you, who are numbered among the redeemed, but we confess to you that there are times when our hearts are still prone to be afraid. You've commanded us time and time again not to be afraid, but Lord, we still somehow find ourselves in this place. And in your word, we see an example of how we can move from from a place of fear to a place of rest when we cast our burdens upon you. Help us, Lord, to trust you entirely with our lives. It's a little bit of a scary thing, God, but help us to trust you. And we pray that you would be faithful to your word, that you would indeed sustain us, that you'd give us the grace and the strength that's necessary for living the life that you've called us to. And Lord, help us to go from this place making much of you, declaring how great you are and what you've done for us, and that there's salvation in no other name but in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have given rest to us. And we thank you for the privilege of worshiping you this morning. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.